0: Hi, I'm Charles Christoph Carter.
1: And I'm his mom, Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find original content covering everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural.
0: If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice, thank you. In our last episode, after being grilled by Joe regarding Greg Vivian and his whereabouts, Hunter hurried to make a phone call. Who was it that she spoke with on the other end of the line? Joe and Laura are totally unaware of the secret that Anne's been hiding, How much longer can Anne keep it from them? And now, without further ado, the next episode of Yard Work, written by Charles and Ellen Carter, narrated by Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised.
1: The two women were silent as Laura turned her minivan onto Mountain Road. Anne leaned back against the leather seat and stared out the window. Laura broke their silence. Anne, I need to speak with you about something. Anne could hear a note in Laura's voice that sounded different. She turned away from the window and looked at Laura. I don't know quite how to say this without sounding like I'm crazy. Just tell me, Laura, Anne replied. Laura took a deep breath and Anne watched as Laura glanced sideways in her direction. Okay, here goes. I think something is wrong at my house. Wrong? Anne asked, not knowing quite what Laura was getting at. Something doesn't feel right. Not all the time, but just lately. When I come home and walk into my house, it's like someone has been there. A burglar? Anne asked trying to conceal her concern for her friend. She knew that Laura had lived alone since her father's death. No, not a burglar. Nothing has been taken. I've checked. But it just doesn't. Now you are going to think I'm crazy, Laura said, hesitating. No, I'm not. Go ahead, Laura. Tell me what's going on. Laura took a deep breath. My house doesn't smell right. There, I've said it, Laura said with a note of relief in her voice. If Laura hadn't seemed so anxious, Anne probably would have laughed at her statement, but she could tell that Laura was genuinely upset. Instead, Anne said, I'm not sure what you mean. Could you explain? That's the hard part. I can't. I don't have any cold, hard facts. It's just that I know what my house smells like. I've lived in that house all of my life. I know it like the back of my hand. And I'm telling you that sometimes when I come home from the boutique, it doesn't smell right. Like someone has been there, walking through the rooms, snooping around. Like a lingering scent of perfume or cologne? I wish it were that concrete, Anne. If it were, I'd feel better. It's more of a gut feeling that you're getting. Is that what you're trying to say, Laura? Laura grimaced. No, I can almost smell whoever or whatever's been there but I don't think anyone else could. It's almost like being haunted by an apparition that no one else can see. It's gotten me really frightened. I've gotten to the point where I'm making excuses to stay later at the boutique so I won't have to go home each night. And the longer I stay at the boutique, the more frightened I get. I've gotten to the point where I check the whole house every time I come home just to make sure no one's there. Have you told anyone else about this? Laura shook her head. No. You might want to talk with Joe about it. Have him take a look. He might be able to send a patrol car by each night for a while to frighten off whoever it might be. Have you seen any strange cars or any strangers in the area? Well, there is a truck that I haven't seen before that was parked down the road from my house, but it could be someone visiting one of my neighbors. A truck? Could you tell if there's anyone in the truck? No, I couldn't tell. Is it a dark truck? Yes, I believe so. Anne frowned. Over the past few months, she had seen a dark truck parked down from her house, almost out of sight. It was always at dusk or early evening, never during the day. Whoever it was never parked close enough for her to identify them or the truck. She could only tell that it was a dark-colored truck. She wondered if she should tell Laura, but she decided not to. She didn't want to frighten her more than she already was. I've thought about talking to Joe, but I don't want Joe to think I'm one of those flighty, panic-stricken women who are always calling for help when none is needed. Listen, Laura. I'm a little older than you are, and I've found over the years that you need to listen to your feelings. If your gut is telling you that there is danger, go with it. Embrace it. Talk to Joe. She watched Laura's face brighten. Do you really think so, Anne? Yes, I do, Laura. Thank you, Anne. For what? For listening. What are friends for? Laura smiled. The two women fell silent. Five miles further on, Laura turned off of the two-lane paved road onto the hard-packed dirt surface of Hard Scrabble Road. She drove past fallow fields and open meadows where a few large oak trees dotted the lonely terrain. Anne turned and intently watched as Laura negotiated a right turn. "'Where are you going?' Anne asked. "'This is not the way to Lancaster. "'You said you wanted to go to the Johnson Farm,' Laura replied. Anne thought for a moment. "'No, all I said was that I wanted to go for a drive to clear my head.' but I heard you distinctly say that you wanted to drive up to the old Johnson farm. No, I didn't. Laura looked out through the front windshield for a moment, turned to Anne and said, That's really weird. I was positive that's what I heard you say. I was thinking about asking you to come up here, but I never verbalized it, Anne said, pondering Laura's statement. Oh, that's strange, Anne. "'I've got the shivers. Is there some kind of ESP between us?' Anne didn't respond. She could feel the goosebumps starting to rise on both arms. Anne saw the peak of the weathered roof first. As they drew closer, more of the Johnson farmhouse came into view. No smoke came from the red brick chimney. The house stood unyielding, solid against the November sky. It was in need of some repair.' The house looked as though it hadn't been lived in for years, but Anne knew that wasn't so. Henry Muntz had lived in the Johnson house for as long as she could remember. When it was a working dairy farm, the barn behind the house housed 100 cows. It was still straight, although the two decades that it had stood unused had taken its toll. Like the farmhouse, the barn was in need of repair. 200 yards behind the barn, across the open meadow, lay the edge of the National Forest. Its tree line was a natural boundary. Hard Scrabble Road ran in front of the Johnson Farmhouse. Three hundred yards beyond lay the town access road to Mirror Lake. Laura slowed down as she passed the farmhouse. Laura, turn in, Anne said suddenly. Laura swung the minivan sharply into the gravel driveway and came to a sudden stop. Both women lurched forward. What's wrong, Anne? Didn't you see him? See who? Henry Muntz. I didn't see anyone, Anne, Laura replied as she peered out of Anne's side window. He must have run into the house. We need to go and see if he's okay. If who's okay? Henry Muntz. How do you know that something's wrong? Anne didn't reply. She just stared at Laura. Laura grimaced and pulled her minivan up closer to the Johnson farmhouse. The two women got out and mounted the steps to the front porch. Anne knocked on the door, but there was no answer. She went to the corner of the house, leaned over the porch railing, and called out, Muntz! Muntz! Henry Muntz! It's Anne Newman! There was no answer. Anne walked back to where she'd left Laura, standing by the front door. Maybe you were mistaken, Anne, Laura suggested. Anne shook her head. No, I saw him. He's in there. Well, maybe he doesn't want any visitors, Laura said. Anne ignored Laura's statement. I think something's wrong. I'm going in to find out. You stay here. Are you sure you don't want me to come in with you? Laura asked. No, I'll be okay. It's cold out here. I'm going to wait in the van. Just keep an eye out while I'm inside. For what? Laura asked, but Anne had already disappeared into the darkened house. Anne left the front door slightly ajar, allowing the mid-morning November light to cut through the dark, gloomy shadows of the kitchen. The only other light was what filtered in through the dirty windows. She slowly looked around the room, her eyes beginning to adjust to the dim light and shadows. There were three large plastic bags of garbage leaning against one wall. The kitchen seemed uncluttered. It was cold, still, and damp. The sour smell of rotting food made her face tense. A frown appeared and her nose wrinkled with disgust in response to the offensive odors. Henry, are you here? Anne called out. The kitchen was spotless except for a few empty cans that had been left in the sink and some crumpled bags lying in a corner. She moved from the almost spotless kitchen into the chaos of the dining room. There were empty cereal boxes, stacks of mail, and old clothes piled in corners and thrown about. Henry, where are you? Anne called. There was a series of short thumps coming from the ceiling above her. She left the dining room, rounded the corner of the living room, and started up the staircase. Henry? she called out again, though not as loud as before. Anne had never been in the Johnson house. Even when Mr. and Mrs. Johnson were alive, she didn't know of too many people who had. After Mr. Johnson died of pneumonia, Mrs. Johnson became a virtual recluse using Henry as her only contact with the outside world. When she died a few years later, they said Henry sat by her side for a week before Reverend Hollander finally found her body. She could remember the people in town debating whether or not to send Henry to a residential facility where he would be supervised or to simply allow him to continue living in the old house with supervision from Reverend Hollander and the Ladies auxiliary. During the town meeting that followed Mrs. Johnson's funeral, The latter was decided, with one amendment. During the winter months, Henry would be expected to stay at the rectory with Reverend Hollander. Anne reached the top of the stairs. She didn't know which room the sound had come from, so when she turned left, she simply opened the door closest to her. She took a step back. The smell of death rushed out to greet her. She peered into the room that must have at one time served as the bedroom. She stepped forward across the threshold. In the dim light, she saw an overstuffed chair. Its fabric had been torn, and the cotton stuffing had been strewn across the room. Quilts and bed linen lay in disarray across the wooden floor, covered with animal droppings and discolored by what must have been urine. She saw the remains of a raccoon entangled in a sheet. It must have gotten in through one of several broken window panes. She didn't know how the animal had died, but she wasn't going any further into the room to find out. She retreated, quickly shutting the door behind her. As she stepped back into the hallway, she took a cleansing breath. She would have to bring this up at the next town meeting. If they were going to allow Henry to stay out here, he would need closer supervision, and the house would need to be kept in better repair. Anne tried the next room. Before she opened the door, she softly called Henry's name. Henry, Henry, it's Anne Newman. Are you up here, Henry? There was no answer, but Anne opened the door. A strong scent of urine and other indistinguishable scents greeted her. She coughed. The room itself was permeated with the odors of bodily excrement. She turned her head away and took a deep breath before she stepped into the room. She was sickened, repulsed, and angered by what she saw and smelled. How could a human being live like this? Suddenly she could feel things crawling on her arms and the back of her neck. She quickly brushed at them with her hands, but when she looked down, there was nothing there. She must have imagined it, or at least she hoped she had. How could the ladies' auxiliary turn their heads and allow Henry to live in such filth? She changed her mind. It was apparent that he needed more than just close supervision. She called out softly, Henry, are you in here? She heard a whining sound and the stamping of feet. Walking a little further into the room, she found a recessed area off to her left. Within this small space sat Henry. His knees were pulled up to his chest, his eyes were tightly closed, his teeth were clenched, and he was breathing heavily as he produced a strange, high-pitched whining sound. Spittle was coming down one side of his mouth, gathering on his unshaven face. His hands were crossed and they clutched the plaid cloth of his shirt near his neck. He was rhythmically rocking, stamping his feet each time he came forward. Henry, it's Anne. Open your eyes, Henry. Henry shook his head. No. Henry, what are you doing here? There was no reply. You're not supposed to be here. It's too cold. You should be at the rectory with Reverend Hollander. She walked where Henry sat rocking. She knelt in front of him. He opened his eyes and looked at her. Come on, Henry, come with me. I'm going to take you to Reverend Hollander, Anne said softly. The man in front of her was childlike, but he was old enough to be her father. And like a child who is frightened and needs reassurance and someone to trust, he allowed himself to be coaxed out of the room and into the hallway. Eventually, she was able to get him down the stairs, but he stopped at the bottom of the staircase and refused to go any further. If you come with me, Henry, I'll buy you something in town. Wouldn't you like that, Henry? Henry nodded his head and started following her through the living room. They walked in the direction of the kitchen. Anne continued to talk, making promises to keep his interest. But when they reached the kitchen door, Henry abruptly stopped his forward progress and started to pull away from Anne. No, Anne said sharply. Henry stopped, tightening his grip on her hand, like an anxious, frightened child would with a parent, but his strength was that of an adult man. Anne's hand felt like it was in a vice. She placed her other hand gently over his and said softly, Henry, you're hurting me. Don't squeeze so tight. Henry loosened his grip just a little, leaned forward, and in a very low voice whispered, Out there. I'm scared. Out there? "'What are you talking about, Henry?' Anne asked. "'Henry didn't respond. "'Did you see somebody? Is there somebody out there, Henry?' There was a moment of silence. Then Laura's voice called from somewhere outside. "'Anne, did you find him?' Henry jumped at the unexpected sound of Laura's voice. Anne took advantage of Henry's surprise and his momentary lack of balance. She gripped Henry's hand tighter and leaned her weight in the opposite direction, forcing him forward. With one last pull, she succeeded in moving him through the kitchen door and out onto the porch. Help me, Laura! Laura got out of the vehicle and joined Anne on the porch. She grabbed Henry's other arm. Henry tried to pull back and return to the dark confines of the house, but Anne and Laura urged him forward and down the steps. He doesn't want to go, Anne. Just help me get him into the minivan, Laura. Oh, God, he smells, Laura said, wrinkling her nose and turning her head the opposite direction. She turned back and looked at Anne. What's wrong? I don't know, Laura, but I do know we have to go now. As they moved across the yard, Henry glanced over his shoulder. His face was filled with fear. Anne followed his line of vision across the field that lay behind the Johnson house to the edge of the forest. She scanned the tree line, trying to see what Henry saw but she saw nothing but a mixture of coniferous and deciduous trees. Many, like the maple, birch, and oak, had some of their fiery leaves still clinging to their branches. She still grasped Henry's hand tightly. A shiver ran through her. Suddenly, she was afraid, utterly and desperately afraid. She was feeling what he felt, his fear. Why was she getting this overwhelming sense of fear from him? Was it something that he knew or something that he'd seen? She didn't know which, but his fear was engulfing her. Somehow she had picked up on it. She knew that someone or something was out there, whoever or whatever it was meant to harm them. She felt a sudden urgency to get away from this house, away from this place. There was danger here, danger that was so close it was palpable, menacing, suffocating. Henry's strength was suddenly greater than both hers and Laura's combined. He was trying to retreat, and he was going to win if she didn't do something, Anne thought quickly, Henry, come on. We're going to take you for a ride in Laura's new minivan. You're going to have your own window seat. She could hear the urgency in her own voice. She tried to control it as she cajoled, trying to make her voice sound cheerful. Quick, Henry. "'Let's get in so we can all take a ride. "'Remember, I promised to buy you something in town.' "'She glanced at Laura and saw the frightened look on her friend's face. "'And what's going on? "'Just help me get him into the van, Laura. "'I'll explain later.' "'Finally, she could feel Henry relenting, "'allowing himself to be led to the vehicle. "'They crossed the yard and slid the side door of the minivan open. "'Quick, Henry, get in and buckle up so we can take our ride.' Henry clambered into the back seat and buckled his seatbelt. She pushed the knob down, flipped the switch to engage the child lock, and slammed the door shut. Laura, let's go, Anne said as she opened her door and threw herself into her seat. Anne, what's wrong? What is it? Was there someone else in the house? Laura asked, a nervous edge creeping into her voice as she quickly pulled her own door closed. Anne didn't respond. Her attention was riveted on the forest. Laura glanced in the mirror. Anne didn't seem to hear Henry's steady, repetitive noises, or realize that he was nervously, anxiously biting his hand. Anne didn't react at all when Laura issued a sharp admonishment. Henry, stop it! Henry sat back in the seat, as if Laura had turned around, grabbed him by his shoulders, and shook him. She had his complete attention, but only for a short while. His eyes promptly turned toward the window. His body followed as he disengaged his seatbelt and slowly slid across the seat until he reached the door. He frantically pulled the handle. The van started to rock from his effort. The door didn't budge, and with no hope of escape, he pulled himself into an upright fetal position, his head resting against the window glass. A pitiful whine just above a whisper emanated from someplace deep inside him. Laura turned back around. Anne was still looking through the window. What happened in the house, Anne? Why is Henry acting like this? Anne didn't respond. Frustrated, Laura asked, What are you looking at, Anne? But Anne didn't answer her. The color had drained from Anne's face and she simply stared in the direction of the woods. Laura reached out to touch Anne's arm and dropped the keys. Damn it, she swore, bending forward to retrieve them. Suddenly, Laura heard Anne's voice. "'Henry, what are you doing?' Anne asked. Laura secured the keys, sat up, and turned around just in time to see Henry with his hand on the door handle again. Suddenly, he slammed his shoulder against the door, trying desperately one last time to open it, to escape. His movements seemed to be a series of jerky motions. It was almost like watching a tape being clumsily advanced a few frames at a time. Anne quickly turned to Laura. "'Laura, get us out of here!' Laura shoved the key into the ignition and turned it. The engine came to life. Go, 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 Anne screamed as she grabbed the door handle to steady herself. Laura threw the shifter into reverse and slammed her foot against the accelerator. The minivan lurched backwards down the driveway. Laura had the presence of mind to cramp the wheel, allowing the vehicle to spin out onto the packed dirt surface. She straightened the vehicle and sped down hard scrabble road. "'What the hell was that all about, Anne? "'What's going on?' "'I heard someone in the house, Laura,' Anne replied. "'She lied. "'She had to. "'How could she tell Laura that she had sensed someone, "'something menacing in the woods? Laura would think she had totally lost it. "'No, the lie was better. "'It would give her time to try and figure out "'what was happening. "'Oh, my God, Anne!' You were so cool and collected when you came out of the house. I'm glad you didn't tell me until now. I would have lost it completely, Laura said, her hands beginning to shake. Do you want to pull over, Laura? Anne asked, genuinely concerned. Laura turned to Anne. Do I look like I've lost my mind? Laura pressed down on the accelerator. The sudden increased speed pushed Anne back against the seat. We're getting as far away from that house as fast as possible, Laura said anxiously.
0: preview of our next episode. Taking the opportunity to pair up with his old partner and feel of some use, Jared joins Joe and the search party in their manhunt for Greg Vivian. Is it Greg Vivian who they spot on the ridge and then later at the collection of hunters camps? Or is it someone else entirely? please consider joining our Patreon site and becoming a Dreadnought. For only $3 a month, our Dreadnoughts get early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic commentary by the authors of the books and the creators of the podcast, exclusive access to episodes of the second half of each book as those episodes are released, and access to the entire back catalog of episodes as our podcast goes forward. Click the link in the show description now to become a dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses.